Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. All different days of the week, so you'll find something that you will like and, and, and uh, be a part of. All right, well, let's jump into what we're doing today. We're wrapping up this series on the book of James, and if it's your first time here with us, let me just kind of give you a little tour. Typically, as a church, we like to do a series that covers a, a, a series of messages that covers a particular topic. And so we'll grab that topic, and we search all through the Bible to see what it has to say about that. Well, in this series, what we're doing is we're just going cover to cover through the book of James. Now, the book of James is in your New Testament. The Bible's divided into two parts, the Old and the New Testament. And this, this book, it's called a book, but really it was just a letter. And it was a letter that James wrote to the church who was being persecuted and scattered around. That's why it's a letter and not a sermon that he delivered. He wrote to them, and the letter was shared from group to group around the church. And it was sent to them to encourage them. Now, James was not the disciple James because there was 12 original disciples. No, that's not, that's not him. That was, there was a James that was one of the 12. But this was James, the brother of Jesus And he was not originally a believer that Jesus was the Messiah, because, I mean, come on, how hard could it be to convince your brother that you're the Christ? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a a job. In fact, James didn't believe until Jesus died and rose from the dead, because how many of you know when a dead man starts walking around talking to you, your perspective can change a little bit, right? And so James became a believer after that, and he wrote this letter, and it's a very encouraging letter, and it's full of a lot of wisdom that was intended to be given to Christ followers, all right? So, so that's what this is all about. And today, uh, look, we've been through chapter one, two, three, and four in the last couple of weeks. This week, we're going to land in chapter five and to see what James says. And we're going to be looking at verses seven through 11. So if you've got your Bible today, you can turn there, or the verses will be up on the screen. So you can use your app, whatever you'd like to do. We're not afraid of technology here in this church, so help yourself. But today, James is going to talk about an issue that none of us like, especially me. I really don't like it. So here we go. It's in James 5, verse 7. It says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. Now, here's the thing. James kind of has a way of saying things that really just kind of comes at you. And it's not something that makes us comfortable, especially when somebody's just kind of in your face about how you ought to be. And so when I've read through James, this has been my response. My wife actually coined the term, and I've, I've said it for the last couple of weeks. But when James says something that's harsh, I just kind of look at my Bible, which, by the way, it's okay if you interact with your Bible a little bit. But I look at my Bible, and I say, dang, James, why are you talking to me that way? Don't judge me. You don't know my life. He says, be patient, then, brothers and sisters. Dang, See, if there was a verse in the Bible that I could cut out, it would be this one. In fact, all the verses that have anything to do with patience, I would cut out. Is anybody else there with me? I don't like anything. I'm not a very patient man. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. Patience is not my thing. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't work in me and produces patience in me, but it doesn't come naturally to me to be very patient. I hate waiting. I think it's part of this generation, you know? We We grew up in a fast food age where we get your way right away. We have everything fast. We've got microwaves, anything we want to. In this day and age, if we want to see something, know something, learn something, we have these computers in our pockets that are also phones that we use or don't use because we text everybody everything anymore. We don't call anybody on them. We can learn anything, see anything we want to that quick. 
It happens so fast. And so we don't like to wait on anything. In fact, it, uh, nothing has changed since I was a kid. I was an impatient kid. Now, the, the next thing I'm going to talk about is going to reveal to me whether you had an awesome childhood or not. But I grew up going to church. Anybody grow up going to church and going to Sunday school as a kid? Anybody listen to, listen to all the, the Sunday school songs, right? You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, we don't need to do it, but it's all right. It's all right. All right. Well, no. Hey, listen, this ain't your train, all right? Quit trying to t- take off here, but listen. We did all kinds of cool songs when I was a kid, and if you did those songs, you, you had an awesome childhood. There was this one album that was by Salty and Saltina. Anybody know about this? All right, so a few people. There was another album called The Music Machine, and this is where I typically hung out, Okay. And the music machine had this song on it that I actually loved and hated. I had a love-hate relationship with it. And it was about a song, about a snail called Herbert, okay? And the song was called Be Patient or Have Patience. And the song would start off, have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you always start to worry. Like, it's really, really fast. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I love this song. Wow! And then it gets to Herbert the snail's part. And this is where I just... I just wish it was over. Like, please, dear God, let it stop. Because Herbert would sing his part like this. Have patience, have patience, don't be. And I'm like, dear God, please, let's, let's get it over. Don't be in such a hurry when you get. Come on, Herbert, let's go. And so I was an impatient little kid. I'm an impatient adult. I don't like patience. It's not something that I enjoy. And many of us don't either. But look, if we look at this verse, we go, all right, I can be patient for a little time, James. I, I can do it for a little bit. But he goes on, he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Dang, James, I don't even know how long that is. That's like an unknowable amount of time. Until Jesus comes back? You mean until I die, until the Lord returns, I need to be patient? Dang, James. You'll get there. It's all right. It's okay to laugh on Sunday mornings. I'm not sure if it's just not funny or if you're too uncomfortable to laugh, but it's okay to laugh and enjoy yourselves, all right? But we need to understand, when we're talking about the subject of patience, we need to understand what it means. And we all have a frame of reference for what we think patience is. But when we're talking about it from the Bible, we need to understand it from a biblical perspective. Now, your Bible was written in two different languages. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is written in Greek. And so how many of you know that when you translate from one language to another, it's not often that one word in another language translates to another word in English. It, it just doesn't happen that way. Oftentimes when you translate from one, from one language to another, it's more of, of a sentence. It's more of a feeling that they get. But the translators of the Bible are not able to write that full sentence. It wouldn't, the sentences wouldn't make any sense. So let me give you a perfect example. Though our translators use the word patience, James would have said this, that patience means to be of long spirit and to not lose heart. That's what the Greek translation actually says. But the translators just said, uh, the English word for that is patience. So as we look at this, we need to understand what the Bible means, what James means to be of a long spirit and to not lose heart. Now, I don't like either of those. But the first part of it means to keep, have like a long view, right? So you're looking down the road. You're not worried about immediately what's in front of you. You're looking down the road. And the other one means to keep holding on. And you understand them both a little better as we move through James 5. But first, here's why patience is so important. As we get into Hebrews, I'm going to jump over here, and then I'll come back to the text. In Hebrews 6.12, it says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith 
and patience. Faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, I like the first part of that. I like faith. Man, I love, I, I, I've got faith. There are gifts that, that the Holy Spirit gives you, and faith is one of them, and I've got it. I can believe God to do anything. I can believe him to see marriages restored. I've seen people's, uh, people's be healed physically. I've seen opportunities be restored, relationships restored, parent and child things restored. I've seen God do all kinds of miracles straight across the board. I can believe God for big stuff. He's the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. That's who he is. And so I don't doubt him. I've got faith. And when I pray for stuff, I, I believe God can act now because Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11, talking about faith, says now faith. And I'm a now faith kind of guy. I want it now. God, I believe you can do it now, and I want it now. I'd like it. Let's do it. But that's not often how God works. God is a yes, no, or a later kind of God. That's how he responds to our requests and to our prayers. But I believe he can, and so I want him to move now, and sometimes God delays in his response. And patience isn't my thing. I don't like waiting on God to do things later, and, but that's how it goes. For us, God will give us a dream or reveal one of his promises to us, and we grab a hold of that thing, and faith begins to rise in our hearts to believe that God can do that thing. And then there's the thing that must be coupled with the faith, and that is patience. Patience is us waiting. There's a time that has to go by before we see the promise of God or that dream become a reality, and sometimes it's decades. And it's in this waiting, sadly, that many people lose faith. They lose hope, and they give up, and they don't see that thing come to pass. And so James is wanting to talk to us, and there's three lessons that he wants to give us as we wrestle with this subject throughout the rest of this, this text. There's three lessons he wants us to see and three examples he gives us from different people of the Bible. So let's look at the first one in verses seven through nine. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, verses 7 through 9 give us a lesson from our first character, and that is the farmer. And the farmer's lesson is that patience is waiting. Now, this may be a dumb moment for you. You're like, duh, Aaron, I knew that. That's what patience means. That's, that's like what it represents. It is waiting. In fact, if you're, if you're not waiting, then you can't exercise patience because patience describes how you wait. But patience, go back to the biblical definition of it, says to be of long spirit. So the concept of patience implies that there's a season of waiting involved. In order to receive God's promises, after faith rises, we have to wait. We have to wait on him to move, and he may move instantly. He may move later that day. He may move later that week, or like I said, in time, in decades. Back to our text, he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. What is he doing? The farmer is living in expectation for the rains to come. He's waiting, but how he waits is important. He's not hoping. He understands. He has an understanding that James wants us all to get. That it's not about hoping. He knows that the harvest is going to come. He knows that it's going to happen. He knows that the autumn and spring rains are going to come forth. He knows that. 
Waiting isn't wishful thinking that something will happen. It's an expectation that it will. And so the farmer is not wondering if, but waiting for when. It's not a question of if the rains will come. It's not a question of if the harvest will come. He knows that it's coming. And he knows that because he understands the seasons. The the verse in the passage speaks of the two seasons. It's in the autumn and the spring rains. He knows that that's his time, that that, that the, the plants will be watered, and that he'll receive a harvest. He knows that it's coming. And he knows that for two reasons. He, he knows that. He knows that because he's been through it before. Likely he grew up on the farm. And so he's experienced it time and time again. God's faithfulness to the rain that will come in the spring and the autumn. And he also knows that the harvest will come because of what he did in the season of preparation for it. He's confident because of what he did. He's confident that a harvest will come because he took time to till the ground. He took time to plant the seed. He took time to care for the crops as they they grew up. He took time to do that, and so he can confidently and patiently wait for the harvest to come as a result. He's not sitting at home hoping and wishing for a harvest. No, he's done all the work necessary to prepare himself for the harvest. And so the patience that we're learning from the farmer, the teaching that, he wants, we want, that James wants us to have, is that we need to have a confident expectation that the promise of God is going to come to pass. But not just because God is good, but because we've done what we needed to do in the season, the right thing in the right season. So we have faith to believe, but in patience, we expectantly wait for the promise. And we can have confidence because we do the right things in the right season. Now, the only time that we can't be confident is if we choose to not do the right things in the right seasons. There's many of you that that are believing God for a promise, but you're not doing the right things right now. In this season, while you're waiting, you're you're just doing nothing. So I'd like to have my own company, but you're doing nothing about it. I'd like to be married, but you do nothing about it. I'd like to have well-behaved children, but you're not doing the right things in the right season, so you're never going to see those things happen. But the farmer is confident of the harvest. Because of what he's done, the right, time, right thing in the right season. So let's go to verse 8 where it confirms this even more. It says, you too, now he's pointing a finger at us. He says, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord is coming near. Now this stand firm, this is a lot where a lot of people are like, well, this is what I'm doing. God's put a dream in my heart. He's given me a promise in his word, so I'm standing firm on it. Well, what does that mean that you're doing? Well, I'm not doing anything. I'm waiting on God. No, that's not what this means. This standing firm doesn't mean standing still. It means that you are anticipating or focused on a specific direction. He's being clear here. James wants us to know that patience isn't inactivity. It's focusing on the right activity. It's not inactivity. It's focusing on the right activity. Patience isn't doing nothing. It's doing the right things until the promise comes to pass. And there's a huge difference between the two of them. People say, I've got a dream. I've got a promise from God that I found in his word, and I'm standing firm on that. It's like, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm waiting on Jesus because he's going to give it to me, bless God. He's going to provide all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. And then what? I'll just wait. Well, well, let let me tell you something. That's That's not how it works. 
You say, well, I, I want to have a, a great marriage. I, you can't sit around and do nothing patiently waiting on God. There are things that you need to do in order to have an expectancy, a confident expectancy that you'll receive that harvest. So the farmer's lesson is right. You say, I want a better marriage that's blessed by God, one that people will look at and say, I admire that. I'd like to have that kind of relationship. And yet, you don't spend any time pursuing your spouse. You don't date your spouse. You don't talk to your spouse. You don't spend time investing in the relationship. Well, guess what? You're not gonna have that kind of marriage. You say, well, I would like to have respectful, well-behaved kids. But during, this, during the right season, you're not teaching them discipline. You're not teaching them how to be respectful. You're not giving them proper instruction in the right season. Guess what? It's never going to happen. You say, well, I'd like to have a career. Well, I'd like to be the leader of an organization. But you're laying at home playing video games on your parents' couch and skipping every opportunity that you've got to invest in yourselves. You refuse to read a book. You refuse to step into small leadership roles because you think you belong in the big leadership role. You skipped opportunities to grow. You think you're going to be a CEO of an organization like they're going to call you up as you laid on the couch? You know, we've got an opening. We'd really like to have you come in and try out for this job. It's not going to happen. You've got to do the right things in the right seasons. Patience isn't inactivity. You can't sit and wait and hope. You've got to do what you're supposed to do. Then you can be confident while you wait that God will answer, that God will do a miracle. For me, when I planted Simple Church, you know that God called me to reach the city of Reynoldsburg. Now, I don't know if you know anything about our fair city, but that's 37,000 people plus. God didn't call me to plant a church in Reynoldsburg. He called me to reach Reynoldsburg. That meant that I was going to plant a church because the local church is the hope of the world. That's how we get the message out. And so I, I started looking for a place to plant a church. Couldn't find a place here in Reynoldsburg. All my other church planting buddies found a place in schools and all these hip, swank places. And me, I couldn't even get into a strip mall or an old Hooters building. That's a true story. And I was like, God, but you called me to do this. And then what he does provide me is a funeral home. So I said, all right, Lord. I know that I'm not going to be able to reach the city from a funeral home. It's too small, and I know there's plenty of people that aren't gonna come to my church because we're in a funeral home. One, because they think it's creepy, or two, because maybe they buried a loved one there and, and it's too sad for them to come. So I knew there was, there, there, that we were not gonna be able to reach the people from that place, but I sat around with the 35 people who were crazy enough to come with me. We didn't know what we were doing. We said, we're gonna do this thing, man. And we're going to start in a funeral home. And we're going to be faithful to what God has given us. We're going to do the right things in the right season. And that meant setting up and tearing down every weekend, Saturdays, after the last funeral. So we didn't even know when we could get in the building. We'd move all of their furniture into a back space and set all of ours up. On Sunday morning, we did one service. And then we grew in that place because God is faithful when you're faithful to what he's given you to do. We grew to two services in that place. And then after two services where we'd hugged every neck and shook every hand, after everybody left the building, we tore our stuff down, cared for it, put it away, and then put all their furniture back where it belonged in the place so that it looked like a funeral home again. We were faithful to invest in the community at every event, though we only had 35 people. We continued to form relationships with the leadership of the city and love this city and pastor and shepherd every relationship that God gave us while we were patiently waiting on God to provide what was next. And then he led us to this place. 
And now if you look around at this place, if you know that our kids, you know any, anything about our kids' ministry, it's busting at the seams. There's not enough space. And we've outgrown this building, and we are patiently waiting on the next opportunity. Because God is faithful. He'll provide. We've, we've got the long view in, in, in view. We're, we're looking down the road, but we're being faithful now while we're waiting. I could have complained. I could have fussed at God and said, I can't believe this is all the space you've given us. You mean you're not going to give me a church of a 1,000 people to start off with? You're not just going to hand me a building? He wanted me to be faithful. Faithful in this season of waiting, doing the right things. And that's why we're confident that God will help us reach this city. So we live in this tension of faith, all of us. While we're patiently waiting for the promise, doing the right things in the right season. And James goes on to tell us that it's important while we're waiting that we stay focused on the harvest. Because James tells us what happens if we don't. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Dang, James. Now, if you read, when you read this verse within the context of what we're talking about, it almost feels like this verse is out of place. Like James is changing the subject. And that's not what's happening. He's letting us know, like, listen, if you lose sight of what you're waiting on, something shifts within you. While you're in this season of waiting, if you stop focusing on the harvest, if you stop focusing on the dream, if you stop focusing on the promise that you found in God's word, if you stop focusing there, you'll start focusing on people. And if you start focusing on people, you'll begin to grumble and you'll begin to complain. See, when you don't focus on the right thing, you begin to blame people for everything. I believe that God has a harvest for your life, a better marriage, a better career. He wants you to have freedom in every area of your life. I believe that God wants that for you. But the problem is if you take your eyes off of his promises, you'll become frustrated that it isn't happening anymore. And you'll start pointing your fingers at other people and start grumbling. So, well, my marriage is a mess, and it's a, it's a mess because my parents didn't give me a good example when I was growing up. Or I, I, I'm not very, I can't, I, can't, I can't let somebody be intimate with me. I don't have intimate relationships because my dad never told me he loved me. Or I was never given the right opportunities. I went to the wrong school. I grew up in the wrong neighborhood. And we begin to point and blame and just say, this stuff is never going to happen. And we start grumbling. It even happens in churches. Do you know why we're here as a church? It ain't so you can sit in comfy chairs and check off the list and say, Jesus, I went to church on Sunday. The reason we're here is we're building an army to reach those people that are lost. And you've just been recruited. That's it. You're part of it. We're here to reach those that are far from God and teach them to follow Jesus step by step. That's why we're here. But we lose sight of that sometimes. Jesus said, go out into the world and and, and tell everybody about me. But when we lose sight of the harvest, that's people, we start to focus on others and we begin to grumble. Well, I don't understand why it's so dark in there. I don't understand why it's so bright in there. Why do you gotta have the fog? How many, why do you have to have so many tattooed people in there? How come the music's so loud? Why don't you play any more hymns? How come you play all the Hillsong songs? They took my seat. You gave it to a guest, and that's where I always sit. Well, I'm worried that our church is getting too big. These are real conversations that I have. We lose focus of why we're here when we start to grumble. 
We start to point our fingers at other people. The same thing is true in life. We blame people for all of our problems. And James is like, listen, we talked about this in week one in James one. He's like, listen, when you got issues, you call, he calls them trials and tribulations. He says, you just need to be excited about it because God's at work. He's setting you up for something. He's got a plan. He, he, he's got a plan for you. That's why we have to stay focused on the harvest. There's a great, great evidence of this in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Joseph. Joseph's the kid who had the coat of many colors. His dad was Israel. Joseph was one of the 12 sons that Israel had. He make, they make up the 12 tribes of Israel that you see all throughout the Old Testament. Make up the Jewish people. And Joseph was one of the youngest. And Joseph had a dream. God gave him a dream that all of his family, including his brothers, were going to bow down to him someday. Now, that's kind of crazy when you understand culture. There was no way that would have happened within the family. Nobody would be bowing to the youngest, especially the father. And yet this is the dream that he was given. And so his brothers, who got jealous of him and angry at him for this dream, sold him into slavery. So Joseph gets carted off to Egypt, and he winds up in a guy's house named Potiphar. And there, Joseph is faithful in this season, doing what he ought to do, keeping his eyes on the dream that God gave him. He didn't hang out and complain. Well, I don't know why my family abandoned me and sold me into slavery, and I guess I'll just eat worms and die. Nobody loves me. That's not what Joseph did. He took the season that he was in, and he was faithful with it. And while he was a slave, he found favor with Potiphar, and he became the number one or number two in Potiphar's house. It was Potiphar, then Joseph. Joseph's ruling over this guy's whole house as a slave. He was blessed as a result of doing the right thing in the right season. And then along comes Potiphar's wife, because now Joseph is ruling the household, and you know that that power or authority is attractive. So Potiphar's wife comes along and tries to seduce Joseph, tries to get him to have sex with her. And Joseph is like, first of all, how could I do that to my God? Second of all, how could I do that to your husband? So he denies her over and over again, but she's not having it. One day she attacks him, jumps on him, grabs him, and Joseph runs naked out of the house because she's got his coat. And so she says, to, she says to her husband, Joseph tried to sleep with me. She lies about him. And so Joseph winds up in jail. And while he was in jail, do you know what he did? Complained about his family, complained that he was betrayed and lied about. Nope, that's not what he did. He was faithful. In the season that he was in, he kept in focus the dream that God gave him. He wound up being the prison boss, like number two in charge in prison. Later, he gets the attention of Pharaoh and is able to, to uh, interpret one of his dreams. And because of his wisdom, Pharaoh says, you know what, I'm going to make you second in command over my kingdom. Do you see a pattern developing in Joseph's life? Because he was faithful in the seasons, no matter how terrible they were, while he was patiently waiting decades for the dream to play out that God gave him, he was faithful. And so he winds up second in command, and there's a great famine in the land, and his family winds up coming to Egypt and bowing before him, just like in his dream. And he's face to face with his brothers who sold him into slavery. And he says to him, we catch up with him in Genesis chapter 50, verse 2. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. There are people in your life that intend to harm you. They intend to do you no good. They may even be family members. 
And when God gives you a dream and a promise and you hold on to it, they will do everything in their power to derail your life. I love you. That's why I tell you that. He says, you brought me to, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. You know, there's going to be a time when you look back on your journey and you're going to identify parts of it that you didn't love. Parts of it where there are moments of pain, moments of betrayal, and you'll identify those moments as pivotal moments that led you to where you are today. And it doesn't matter if people leave your life or betray you. Those setbacks are setups for all God has for you. Can I get a good amen? amen? That's true. They tried to take you out and the devil tried to rob you, but God has a plan. You stay faithful to the season. Do the right things in the right season. Patiently wait. Keep your eyes on the harvest. It gets better, though. James jumps down to verse 10. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, now we're going to take it a different direction, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And so the lesson he wants us to learn as we continue through this little selection is that the prophet's lesson, and that is patience feels like suffering. Aren't you glad you came to church today? To be encouraged by this message. Patience feels like suffering. Back to our definition of patience. It says to not lose heart. Do you know why it says to not lose heart? Because it's difficult. It's hard to remain patient. Patience will test you and try you. It will try to make you quit. To give up. And James is using the prophets as a great example. Because the prophets were often sent to God's people to have them repent. In other words, they were always went with a hope in their heart that when we said, you guys need to repent, that the people of Israel in that moment would repent and turn back to God. But that's not how it happened. And we'll use the prophet Elijah as an example because James actually speaks about him in verse 17 of this chapter. And Elijah's situation is he's coming to the people to tell them to turn back to God because see, God have a cov had a covenant with his special people, the Israelites, that's the Jewish people, he said, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. He said, and I'll, keep, I'll make you first and you make me first. That's the way this works. That means no other gods before me. But constantly Israel drifted from God and they began to worship other man-made gods, lowercase g. And in this situation, they were worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. These are gods of power and gods of pleasure. And Elijah comes onto the scene as King Ahab has led them in this worship far away from God. And he's like, look, y'all need to repent, turn back to God. This is what, and as a result, he's like, listen, you know, God made a covenant with you. And he said, it'll rain when it's supposed to rain as long as you seek me first and love me. All these things, you'll have all this blessing. But as a result of turning away, this is what Elijah said. He said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah is just speaking God's words to them. This is what God told him to tell him. And he shows up, he hopes, hey, people are going to repent right now. He, that's what he wants. He wants the people to know God, just like I want you to know God. And God wants you to know him. But there was this season where after Elijah tells him, there was a big season, a great waiting before they actually repented. And during that season, Elijah was painted as public enemy number one because he's the one who came and said, at my word, it will not rain again. 
And so the people, it didn't rain, the crops dried up, the animals start dying, there's a great famine in the land, other people are dying, and they're looking at Elijah, and instead of repenting, which would have brought back the rain, they said, we're going to look at him and hold him accountable. And so King Ahab chased him around with an army trying to kill him for three and a half years. Three and a half years, he waited and was persecuted because he took a stand for God, because he was holding on to a promise that these were his special people, that God, the God said, these are my special people, and that they would repent. He didn't go there expecting to suffer, but he understood this, that if you're not ready to suffer for God, then you're not ready to be used by God. That's just how it goes. If you're not ready to, to suffer, you can't have all God's got for you. You can't be used by him. Because nothing that God will call you to will ever be easy. Patience simply means to not lose heart. And the Bible says that you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So we're waiting patiently. That's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. It will feel like you're suffering. Especially in moments where you'll look and see everyone else getting what you're asking God for. You're asking God for a restored marriage and your friend's marriage is restored. You're asking God for a child and your friends conceive and have a child. You're asking God for a career opportunity and your friend gets the promotion instead of you. It will feel like you're suffering. As you ask the questions, why not me? Patience waits expectantly, keeping your eyes focused on the promise. And James tells us if we don't give up through the suffering, there's a payoff. He says in verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I love that. I love that. The farmer teaches us about waiting. The prophet's lesson teaches us that patience will be painful and suffering. Now, Job teaches us something that really messes with us. James mentions the life of Job, and if you don't know anything about Job, let me just help you understand. It's a book in your Old Testament. It is probably one of the oldest written books. That we believe it's the oldest written one. There are other historical books that record history before Job, but they were written after the book of Job was written. And Job was a wealthy man, very successful, big family, and he loved God. And Job was blessed. And one day, the angels of heaven come before God, and in comes Satan with him. And God says to Satan, where have you been? What have you been doing? And he says, well, I've been out and about and observing and watching mankind. Because see, Satan comes before God to accuse people. You understand that, right? And that's what he was doing. He came before God to accuse people. And he's not all-knowing. He's a created being. He's not like God. He's not above God. He's not in competition with God. He's a created being. He is therefore below God. And he doesn't know everything. And so God says, well, what did you see? And he's, he said, well, I'm watching around. And, he, and God says, have you considered my, my servant Job? And the devil says, well, yeah, of course. He said, but you know, it's easy to love you when things are going well. It's easy to love you when you've got everything. And so God says, well, you want to test him? He says, touch everything but his life and his health. So Satan goes down and 
Job had a bunch of kids and in one fell swoop, all of them died. They were together in a party and a wind blew and the house collapsed and they all died in one moment. Job's, Job's sunk into a place of sadness, started losing his animals and his wealth. And even in the midst of all of this loss, Job still worshiped God. So the devil comes back before God and, he, and God says, see, see my servant Job. And he says, well, it's easy to worship you when you got your health. And so God says, that's fine, just don't touch his life. So the devil afflicts him with boils. The Bible describes Job as sitting in ash, scraping the boils with pots or with, with shards of, of clay, broken pots. And if you've ever gone through a chronic condition where you're in pain, It'll make you begin to question some things. And Job's in pain with no relief. And even his wife comes to him and says, you ought to curse God and die, dude. And Job begins to question his relationship. In fact, the, but the, the book goes on for 40 chapters of Job wrestling with his relationship with God and his beliefs about God. But here's where he lands. He lands in chapter 42. He says this. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. Despite all these things, Job worshiped God and he held on. So the lesson that Job would teach us as James would have us see it is that patience brings about God's blessing. Look, if you're willing to wait, if you're willing to overcome the suffering, then it brings about God's blessing in your life. I promise you that what God has for you is much better than anything you could imagine. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on that thing God has placed in your heart. Don't give up on his promises. So while you're waiting, wait patiently, wait expectantly, doing the right things in the right season, confident that God's promises are coming. Resist temptation to give up. Keep your eyes on the harvest and not on people. You'll have to suffer in order for God to do something great in your life. But God's plan is still intact, I promise you. His blessing is just around the corner. Now some of you, I know you're here and you say, Aaron, it's already too late. I've given up hope. I've given up hope for that healing. I've given up hope for that career opportunity. I've given up hope that God could make me into that person. I've given up hope I stopped believing. I love how this verse ends because it's just for you to remind you of how good God is. He says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That means it doesn't matter how far you've walked away from God. It doesn't matter how long you've given up hope, how long you've stopped believing. God is ready to restore you and put you back on the path. That's how good he is. He's full of compassion and mercy. You can still be the person that you might have been had you held on. I'm living proof of that today. But that's another story for another time. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would give us the strength to wait patiently and expectantly. First, knowing you are faithful, that your word and your promises are true, and that the dreams that you've given us are possible. Lord, help us to know the, the right things to do in this season of waiting. 
Let us keep focused on the harvest, God, that is at hand. In times of suffering, Lord, give us your strength to not give up. Our hope and our trust and faith is in you. Help us to be patient today. Now, God, today I know there are people in this room, and we're going to continue praying in just a moment. But you need to know that God's not just asking us to be patient. If you're here today and you're far from God, you need to know that he's patiently waiting on you. There's a fantastic story in the book of Luke. It tells the story of what we know as the prodigal son, a son who leaves home and spends his wealth and his life and wild living, walking far away from his father and all the things his father taught him. And it describes the father, the father standing on the porch, expectantly and confidently watching the horizon, waiting for his son to step across that horizon. And the second he does, the Bible says that he runs towards him. He runs towards him to embrace him and welcome him home. And I'm here to tell you today, God is waiting for you patiently. He's ready to welcome you home. He doesn't care how far you've walked away. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care how you've harmed yourself or others or relationships. He doesn't care what you've broken. He doesn't care what you've said about him, his church, or his people. It does not matter. Your past has been paid for by the price that Jesus paid for you on the cross. Doesn't matter. He's ready. He's welcome, ready to welcome you home now. And if you're here today and you say, Aaron, that's me, I'm ready. I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to be in a relationship with God. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. If you'd like to be included on that prayer, I just want to know that you're here. Would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm ready. Do that now. Say, Aaron, I'm ready. I'm ready. Church, let's pray together. Everybody pray out loud. Join me here. Jesus, I need you. Thank you for patiently waiting on me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for welcoming me home. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now the Bible says if you prayed that prayer, all of heaven is celebrating with you. Come on, church. Can we celebrate with those that have said yes to Jesus today? that commitment today, I want to ask you to make another one. Take another step. We're all about steps around here as a church. We have something called Growth Track. It's four easy steps to understanding God's plan and purpose for your life. We do it every Sunday, the first, second, third, and fourth Sundays of the month. We do it second service. That means this service right here, the 11 o'clock service in our conference room. You don't have to sign up. You can just go. If you got kids, we'll watch your kids for you. If you can't stay both services, skip service in here and go to Growth Track. It's important. You need to understand God's plan and purpose for your life. You need to know what we're doing here as a church, and you need to know that we want you to be part of it. So take this step. First step starts next Sunday. Second service, you can, you can join us. Step one, we'd love to have you in there, all right? Amen? All right. Now at this time, we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest with us today, you're under no obligation to give. We're just really glad that you're here. Also want to make sure you know, hey, listen, as you go out to the foyer today, two things. There'll be the table there. You can stop by and you can order a t-shirt if you want, or you can do that online. I know the foyer's hot today, and we apologize. The air conditioner's still broken. We're working on it. But you can also stop by and see there's grow group leaders there that want to help you get signed up for a group. Don't delay. Get in a group today. 
I sound like a salesman, don't I? It's all rhyming and stuff. It's good. All right. Father, thank you so much for all you're doing in us. Thank you for how you're leading us as a church. Thank you for this book of James, God, and how it's challenged us. I know I've been challenged personally. God, I pray that you would just lead us to the completion of the work that you started in us. Lord, bless this offering as we receive it. Help us reach more people that are far from you with every dollar in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Would you stand with us?